You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You are listening to Beyond the SIG, a prescription for transformative pharmacy care. This podcast is developed in collaboration with the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy and their Flip the Pharmacy team, and paid for through CDC grant funding provided by the Pennsylvania Department of Health to the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association, broadcasted exclusively on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the SIG, your prescription for transformative pharmacy care. My name is Stephanie McGrath, and I'm the Executive Director of Network Operations for the Pennsylvania Pharmacist Care Network. I'm pleased to be joined today by Randy McDonough for his reflections on Flip the Pharmacy one year later. Randy McDonough is co-owner of Towncrest and Towncrest Compounding Pharmacies in Iowa City and Salone Towncrest Pharmacy in Salone, Iowa. Randy also serves as the Director of Practice Transformation of Flip the Pharmacy, Professor of Pharmacy Management and Innovation at Loma Linda University School of Pharmacy and very busy in all of those roles. So thank you, Randy, so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Stephanie. You're joining virtually, um, although one year ago, we sat together in person in Pittsburgh and said, the time is now. And here we are one year later, and that statement couldn't have been more true, except I think we were just a little off on the what it was the time for. <laughs> um, I think our, our pharmacies have experienced, you know, just really incredible challenges over the past year, as all Americans have. Um, but, but I think, you know, we agree that Flip the Pharmacy has uniquely positioned them to be successful through some of these, these challenges. How has the infrastructure created by Flip the Pharmacy helped to support participating pharmacies in the COVID-19 pandemic? You know, Stephanie, as I reflect on, you know, since we started Flip the Pharmacy and then reflect on the podcast from last year, um, I mentioned to you before this started that that was my last visit to a place when they shut down everything. And so, you know, we've all been pretty much stuck to where we're at um, during this, this whole pandemic year. I think the other thing I reflected on is when we first decided on the Flip the Pharmacy initiative, it really was to create a capacity for pharmacies to pr- provide patient care initiatives, enhance services, and have new payer models. And that was the flip, right? Unbeknownst to us with the COVID-19 pandemic, it actually provided them with the opportunity to start providing new services that were absolutely needed during the pandemic. It provided an infrastructure and support group um, for the pharmacies going through some very difficult challenges. In fact, I would say that our best practices, uh, podcasts, and webinars were probably some of the most uh, visited webinars that we've had and well attended and continued on. And I would say that our website um, was actually visited quite a few times. And I'm sure from people outside of, um, you know, Flip the Pharmacy and CPSN. So it had a tremendous impact on really arming our pharmacists to be ready, um, to be fluid, to be able to react in an appropriate way to what was happening with the pandemic, to still provide care for their patients and still provide the enhanced services that we really wanted them to do during Flip the Pharmacy. So I'm very happy that we did the initiative when we did and our pharmacies were ready when the pandemic hit. Absolutely, I think we've seen that as well locally um, here in Pennsylvania and having some of those 
lines of communication already in place, I think, you know, really helped um, to help, help people be successful through this, knowing that information changes daily, hourly, sometimes um, having, having that infrastructure for sure. Um, and so we you know, know that, um, again, this, this, this uh, front flip the pharmacy program helped to prepare pharmacies to be successful in implementing new services, some of them being COVID-19 related services. Um, despite the high demands of operating a pharmacy during a pandemic, how have you seen some of these new clinical service activities evolve to meet the needs of communities across America? Yeah, I think first and foremost, um, just having our pharmacies ready still to provide services and again, using the best practice webinars and, and um, website to prepare pharmacists because there are a lot of questions about how do I protect my patients? How do I protect my staff? And that was so fluid, you know, especially early on. And, you know, we, we took the approach that um, the virus is going to get into the pharmacy. It's our job to contain it. How do we contain it? And, uh, and so using the best practices webinars and the websites really providing that information to the pharmacists. And it's interesting because as other healthcare providers as offices shut down, community pharmacies didn't. And we continued to provide services for our patients. Now we had to be creative because if we were limiting flow of patients into the pharmacy, you know, what do we do? Well, curbside delivery became kind of a major term and, and a major way for pharmacists to actually still provide services and product uh, to patients out in the parking lot. And so it was kind of cool to see all the initiatives and creativity that pharmacists were putting into it. And I don't think that's going to go away after the pandemic. I think people have gotten used to, used to that as well. The other thing that became um, apparent was those pharmacists who saw an opportunity and a need within their community to provide testing. And some of it was the PCR testing, some of it was the rapid antigen testing, um, but they saw the need and jumped right into it and providing thousands and thousands of tests. And, uh, and that was um, pretty cool to see that uh, initiative happen. But I also think it also demonstrated the value of the community pharmacy and the community pharmacist within the community. I look at my own personal um, experience in this. And back in March, right after I came back from Pittsburgh, one of the first groups that I contacted was the Johnson County Emergency Management Agency and Johnson County Public Health. And I was trying to find out what initiatives were occurring because obviously we all were watching closely what was happening in New York City and how you know patients uh, were just, the numbers were just so large that they were spilling out from the hospitals into the community or into nursing homes. And so I wanted to prepare ourselves. So I called them to ask, you know, what's going on and how can we be part of the solution? They never really had community pharmacists involved in their discussions. They had the hospitals and they had representatives from the hospitals, um, but they never had pharmacy. And they invited me to be on their weekly calls and really developed a good relationship with them. So much so that when COVID-19 vaccines started becoming um, more available, uh, we became a partner with them and one of their pharmacy partners, and they started providing us with lists of some of the first groups of patients, which were community health, you know, community workers, our community, um, or healthcare workers in the community, for, in the community setting, and, uh, and then also first responders. And so we were starting to provide that for them. We still continue. And it's really interesting. Um, you know, one of the things that we talked about more recently at a big COVID-19 vaccination clinic where EMA and public health were both part of it, 
they said one of the, one of the best calls they got was from this pharmacist who was uh, you know concerned and and kind of forced himself upon us. And they said one of the best things we did was let you in. And I'm like, well, you know, it's been a win-win for all of us and for our community. So I really saw that the value. I mean, I don't think we really understood the value of community pharmacists in the sense of providing these enhanced services, which were new. I mean, even COVID-19 vaccinations is different than how we do flu shots. So you got to be very intentional, very deliberate about how you're going to do this with all the documentation in addition to that. The COVID-19 testing, whether it be rapid antigen or the PCR testing, still providing the other services that you should be providing. We still had peer programs going on. So it's not like the payer says, okay, you know, take a break. <laughs> We're going to let you give you a pass on this. We still had to continue to uh, provide that level of service uh, to our patients and be that conduit of information as far as what's happening with the patient's medications with other healthcare providers who otherwise have limited their access to these patients. So when you put that into entirety, it really demonstrated um, how community pharmacists stepped up and demonstrated to the country um, just how valuable they are um, to the community and to our healthcare system. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've countless examples of, of that across the country for sure, and filling in some of the gaps in the healthcare system that, that were closed because of COVID and, and social distancing. Um, so you mentioned some of the practice innovations that were made, the curbside pickup, which I agree, I don't think it's going away either. Um, but the, you know, the capacity to still maintain the services that the pharmacies are providing, um, despite having safety considerations. Can you give some other examples maybe of some incredible innovation that you've seen, whether it's technology or safety practices, remote workflow, what else has evolved during this pandemic um, that may stick around? Yeah, I think all of the above. Um, I think um, the remote workflow, I think telehealth, telepharmacy, you know, we had pharmacies that um, are still participating in and, and started doing that during the pandemic, looking at how we can still provide the care of patients where we may not be able to have the face-to-face -face interaction. So even telephonic um, interventions, you know, we were still providing our medication therapy management uh, for our patients, but it couldn't be where they came in. It had to be more telephonically. But also just being very cognizant of if you're bringing a patient in, how do we do it in a safe way? And so in doing temperature checks and making sure people are appropriately distanced from each other. So it's kind of cool to see people having X's on their floors and you know, chairs um, strategically placed so where people could sit. As I said, the curbside delivery, and some good ideas came from that. My, my son was part of a, um, a student uh, program with NCPA as far as the business um, projects, business plans. And I, I really love it where it's a kiosk system, you know, where the patient came in and I'm like, maybe there is a business opportunity for that where the patient, you know, so beyond just the pandemic, I just think that's a great idea. So you just saw all these really, that's what I've always loved about community pharmacists. And that's why I always gravitated back to community pharmacy, even though I had many different positions and academic positions, community pharmacy is where innovation occurs because we have to think fast, we have to be fluid. And when things happen, you know, either we're gonna shut down or we're gonna figure out what we need to do to you know, um, overcome some of the adversity that's occurring to us. So I think all the above, I think using use of technology, I think uh, the remote, I know how do we still manage our, the care of our patients? Um, how do we document? I think there was more communication that was happening between pharmacies and other providers. I'm sure during this time, um, I, I know in Iowa it did, that um, access to electronic health records 
uh, became more open. It's, you know, it's still an issue, but became more open. Um, I think emergency use authorization orders that came across the um, different states. We have technicians now that are providing COVID-19 vaccinations, and I'll be a proponent to get them pushed to make sure they can do all vaccinations when this is all over. So utilizing our staff appropriately uh, became key. So I just think, you know, we look at a year like this and initially you look at it and saying, boy, that could have been the lowest point of pharmacy, community pharmacy in particular. And I've seen this time and time again in my, in my career is during those low points that the new opportunities come and how people rise to meet the challenges. And I definitely saw that this year. Yeah, agreed. I think it's really just been amazing. We've seen just shining examples of community pharmacy innovation this past year. Randy, you talked a little bit about some of the technology that's evolved, and you mentioned the kiosk system that your own pharmacy has implemented. Can you talk a little bit more detail about that and maybe some of the other services that you feel will kind of come from this type of innovation and technology? Yeah, and I would say the kiosk system was it was more that's still to me more of the idea where I actually have kiosk out in the parking lot and we're still kind of playing around with that idea. But what really came to me was actually, you know, as I'm trying to figure out my groceries, <laughs> things like that. And and I had these um, different, uh, you know, um, businesses that had these apps and it, they made it so that it was so easy that you do your order and then you put down a time you're going to come in. And then you there and then meet you at your parking spot that you're at. And so I, I went to my business partner and asked, you know, why shouldn't we, why can't we be doing that and just make it easier? And so he was able to uh, learn all the ins and outs of acuity. And so what's cool now is much like with medication synchronization, where that really makes you more proactive and control the flow of patients into the pharmacy for product distribution. Um, the acuity system allowed us to really say, okay, when do we have openings to provide care to patients? When do we have the staffing? And then open up those areas. And we got patients not just signing up for COVID-19 vaccines. They're signing up for Shingrix. They're signing up for point-of-care testing. You know, now that we're doing the rapid antigen testing, they signed up for the PCR testing that way. Um, everything, CPAPs, you know, our durable medical equipment, diabetic shoes, everybody is signing up for that. And it's not us calling the patients to get them there. They're signing up for it. So it's just made it that much easier on us to say, wow, we've got an opportunity to do that. So I see that expanding of, you know, letting people know the services you can provide. They go right into your system. They figure out, okay, this is the appointment I want to come into. They tell you what it is that they want. And then you're ready because you see that within your system. Then on the back end, you know, the documentation, you know, you still have to do that. And whether it be in the e-care plan or through a state registry or through the federal pharmacy program on the job form, we knew that that could be a slow process if you're just doing one patient at a time every single time, especially when you're doing these massive clinics where you're doing over a thousand patients at a time. You know, I've heard pharmacies taking five or six hours just on the back end to put that information into a job form. So again, you know, Mike Denninger, my business partner, um, and he started, he's great with the IT. So he started think, looking at spreadsheets. He started working with the state registry and he started working with CPS and USA to say, you know, how can I get a spreadsheet that can just, um, you know, plan in all the information into the system and upload it so that it's all there. And so over several weeks, he worked with both groups and was able to do that. That saves us tremendous time. So we don't have clogs in the system on the front end, as far as you know, having everybody come in and filling out things by hand because they do all that uh, form uh, filling out 
online through Acuity because we have everything through Acuity. And then on the back end, um, we can just do a, a upload the spreadsheet quickly after we've had the clinic and that gets um, uploaded into the state registry and into the um, federal pharmacy program um, documentation requirements. We, and so that has really um, helped us out um, quite a bit as far as efficiencies of our practice. That's amazing. I think you, you started out by saying sometimes the lowest points um, oh, in, in I, society, you know, generate change. And yep. um, that's. Uh, I've, I've seen this over and over and over in my career. And, and you know, Stephanie, the, the hardest part of my career was not during this time. The hardest part of my career was in 2012 when I literally saw, you know, the, the PBM that our biggest payer had, you know, basically just um, reduce their pricing, their effective pricing by 50%, you know, that represented 40, 50% of my patients. And, you know, it, that, that was just a spiral down. I mean, I just went like, how are we going to survive um, with this kind of pricing and reimbursement? And I was about ready to give up because I'm just like, okay, I can't beat the PBMs. And, and once I understood um, that I control my actions and my reactions. And I wasn't going to let some kind of an organization or middle person called a PBM um, impact my life or impact my career. And it was up to me to take charge again. And that's when we fought back and we developed the class action arbitration against the PBM, but it also we challenged the payer to look at pharmacy a different way. And that's how we got our first payer program within the state, right? Same thing with this is that, you know, we had to think quickly and as far as how do we protect ourselves, how do we protect our patients? And that's when the innovation starts to occur is that you got to figure it out. But then you also listen to other people. And that was the beauty of Flip the Pharmacy and CPSN is, you know, we, we were problem solving together and you'd hear something and someone would modify it and make it even better. And we'd be sharing it with each other. And I saw more innovation in this one year than I've probably seen in my whole career <laughs> as a pharmacist, which has been many decades now. And that, that was pretty impressive just to see the creativity, the innovation that pharmacists were bringing out, which again, what I will say, which makes me always come back to community pharmacy, even though I get pulled away sometimes with these other um, things that I'm involved in, I always come back because that's my hot, happy spot because that's where I'm meeting the patient face-to-face -face and creating ideas and solutions and transformations to make it better for the patient, for the community, and for the healthcare system. That's amazing. I appreciate your what, what you highlighted. And um, I've, you know, always, we've seen continually how pharmacists are just incredible problem solvers throughout this. Um, and one, uh, one piece, I think, of innovation maybe in, in using technology we've seen is that in these online screening questionnaires and forms, pharmacies are now collecting a boatload of information on, on their patients. And sometimes on many cases, more cases probably, and not, it's, it's not their patients, it's, it's other patients that did not uh, have a, a pre-existing relationship with the pharmacy. And so now they, they're reaching this whole other pool of individuals in their communities. And they've utilized this screening form to collect information um, from people and ask, would you like to hear more about our pharmacy services? And in so many cases, they've said yes. And they've used it as a way to market their DPP program, their DSME program, their testing, other, other services as well. And it, you're nodding along. So I think you probably have seen this. this too. Oh, I 
I've had, you know, I had a patient that met me, you know, before we were even open, they wanted to get a COVID-19 vaccination, but they weren't part of the phased rollout yet. And so I went out and talked to her and, and um, you know, cause she tried to get there early thinking if I get there early, I'll get access to the vaccine um, and talk to her. And she says, you know, I, I actually, I, I wanted to just transfer everything over. And so I talked to her, I said, well, give me a call later in the afternoon. And she actually came back and I met her outside again and, and we transferred everything over because she just appreciates, she goes, I, you know, what I, what I appreciate about what you provide is that it, we're not just a, a number. We're not just anybody, you know, you, you try to get to know the individuals yesterday as I was leaving the pharmacy. Um, and I had a, I had a meeting, so I was kind of rushing. Um, I had a woman, um, who's said, sir, sir. <laughs> I went over and talked to her and, uh, she goes, I just want to tell you, she goes, I used to come here. And, you know, because of a variety of different reasons, um, we, we went to a different pharmacy. And so she was going to one of the, the big, big chains and she goes, I want to come back because I see all the things that you guys have been doing as it relates to COVID-19 and helping our community. Plus I see you on commercials and I see the things that you guys are doing that are just unique. And she goes, it made me realize it's time for me to transfer back. I'm sure people across the country can have similar stories. And those are just two stories, but we did not see a loss of patients during this time. Uh, we saw an increase in the number of patients that we're managing, not just the one time, you know, doing a COVID-19 vaccine, you know, because they're new to us, but people who are coming back to us or coming to us as new patients because they saw the value um, of our practice. So that was very unique that we never would have seen if we didn't have COVID-19. It's additional evidence that of the you know, the people are recognizing the value of the services that you're providing and additional evidence of the, the fact that this you know, those innovations that was worth it. Um, and we know that that Flip the Pharmacy persisted uh, despite the challenges and many pivots. So what data can you share from the first year and a half of this initiative that serves as evidence that yes, in fact, Flip the Pharmacy marched on? Well, the evidence is by uh, one, I'll just say just by the sharing of the best practices. I mean, we were having people from all over across the country sharing their ideas. And so that's one thing that was just apparent that things were happening, that people were figuring things out to still provide the care. But for us, from a flip the pharmacy perspective, you know, we always have focus on e-care plans because it's still about how do we manage the care of patients and how do you document it? And although we've kind of lessened the restrictions as far as how many <laughs> do you have to get in, we made it clear that you still got to do it. You know, you, it's like I said, when I got payer programs, I still got to do the care. So I still got to document that care. And I think what's interesting, Stephanie, is I look at the data. Every single month since the initiation of Flip the Pharmacy with the first month of actually having data for e-care plans, which is October 2019, Every single month, um, except for I can see a couple of dips, um, we actually increased. So, for example, October 2019, there were 16,375 e-care plans that were submitted. Um, December, now think about this, December of 2020. Now think about all the things that were going on. Now, granted, we had more pharmacies going as well, too but we had 91,369 e-care plans submitted in December of 2020. Our most recent number, February of 2021, is over um, almost 104,000 e-care plans submitted. 
So even in these times of adversity, even in these times where um, time constraints obviously are just tremendous on our pharmacist, they understand the value of the documentation and the care of patients and, the, and their proof that they cared for this patient by their documentation in, um, within their e-care plan platforms that they're using. You know, so I, I'm very encouraged. Uh, I wouldn't have guessed that. I would have said that we probably would see a huge dip. But I can tell you with the infrastructure that we've created, with the practice transformation teams, the leads, the coaches, and the sites themselves, everybody committed uh, during this time. And no one let their foot off the gas and kept pushing. And I can't speak highly enough for just all the practitioners out there who stepped up um, and continue to provide the services to their patients. It really is just incredible um, when you take a look at the data and and know that blood this includes blood pressure readings and other clinic you know clinical outcome measures as well that are still occurring somehow in the pharmacy and and being able to report on those is is really really awesome um, despite despite the past year. Um, and you spoke a little bit to this, Randy. I'm hoping you can elaborate a little bit more, but um, how has the COVID-19 pandemic created new opportunities for community pharmacists to provide sustainable clinical services? I, I think the biggest opportunity, and I mean, b- beyond just all the services that we talked about, you know, the pharmacists figured out, to me, the biggest opportunity is, and, and I've been doing this for a long, long time, and, you know, I was before the pandemic, I would say that there were payers who were starting to wake up and realize the value of community pharmacists, but it was still spotty across the country. I think with COVID-19, people started waking up and it's not just payers, but other stakeholders I mentioned, public health departments, um, EMAs, emergency management agencies, uh, other stakeholders, nursing home facilitators, uh, you know, administrators and, and uh, staff. I think everybody started realizing, wait a minute, you know, we've got this community pharmacy that is engaged, not just at the level of patients, but engaged at the level of the community. And why haven't we utilized them more? Why haven't we engaged them more? I think moving forward, I don't think we will ever see community pharmacists be looked at in a way of a second thought. I think moving forward, I see that pharmacists are truly part of the healthcare team part of the infrastructure of the community. And I do believe um, that we've demonstrated our value to the point where um, people have got to, you know, CMS and uh, other major payers have got to say, you know what, if the pharmacists are going to be doing these services, they got to get paid. So I think it helped us as far as provider status. And uh, again, I can't speak highly enough that it was the practitioners who met met the challenge head on, um, did it, beat it. And now we're demonstrating, you know what, now we, we deserve to be paid. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, that, that being able to sustain the clinical services, so not just demonstrating the fact that, you know, oh, time and time again, community pharmacists are accessible in communities across America. Um, but they have to be able to sustain these services as well. Um, for sure. I think, I know it, through you know, my leadership role as CPSN, have seen a growing, tremendous, exponential almost number of payer programs launched this year. Um, I can speak to that personally in Pennsylvania and the challenges of launching that among, you know, amidst the, the, the pandemic, but um, know that Pennsylvania is not alone and many other states have also just exponentially launched um, a larger number of, of payer programs. And so I think you know, there's additional evidence to show that the value of community pharmacists is being recognized and um, they're given the opportunity to to generate revenue for these clinical services. 
Yeah, I definitely think that. And we also have, you know, we had our two payer programs that were already going on in Iowa and two more being added. And, but I, I see now that people are starting to say, you know, well, how do we utilize the community pharmacist in a better way? Cause they do have access. I've used to always say that it was access to patients that is our first and foremost uh, value to the community. And I think this demonstrated it. We know how to get access to our patients, whether they're coming to the pharmacy or we're going to meet them. And there aren't too many other providers that can say that. I mean, really think about that. Who is able to go to where the patient is at best? You know, besides now nurses, definitely, you know, you got visiting nurses and you've got, um, you know, uh, uh, hospices and things like that. Yes, they do that very, very well. But by gosh, community pharmacists do it very well, too. And uh, so I, I see this as just a great opportunity for pharmacists to continue to evolve within the healthcare system and in the payer markets. Yeah, for sure. And I think so many community pharmacists are community business owners. And so they know the other business owners in the community are so well embedded into these individual communities across the country and understand how to navigate, find area agencies on aging and the libraries and the school districts and, you know, employers, all of these, these potential partners for sure. Sure. Stephanie, I want to add to that too. You know, the you know, as we got involved with the Johnson County Public Health, EMA, and Social Services, they also got us in contact with these advocacy groups. You know, for patients who are um, otherwise vulnerable, at risk, including senior patients, and we got a group of about seven or eight of them that we're working with. And it's amazing to me. I mean, we got, you know, lots of different COVID-19 clinics coming up in addition to what we've already done. And, and they're the, actually the ones who are helping to, to develop the, um, the, the numbers of people to come in, the site for us to go to. We create the processes to do it. But it's that partnership that we have within the community. And I tell you, I just don't see it going away because I think COVID-19 was the introduction to it. But there's people that I don't think even realize Towncrest Pharmacy existed. Now they know all about Towncrest Pharmacy, and they want us to be involved with their initiatives. That's a pretty cool thing to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say that you're not alone in that. And I, I think getting that recognition, um, you know, at a state, sometimes even a national level, we've seen pharmacies across the country, independent community pharmacies across the country gain, you know, really prominent national recognition. So despite the competing priorities of you know, providing vaccination for, you know, pandemic, during a pandemic and keeping everybody safe. Why is now in March, 2021, the time? Uh, how can community pharmacists, how can we take what we've learned this past year and operationalize it for the betterment of our profession and for our community pharmacy businesses? Yeah, I think moving forward now that we've established our value, um, all the more reason now to make sure that your pharmacy is is really on board and has created that change, that transformation process, that it doesn't matter what service or what patient group we're talking about. We can provide that level of care to patients, and it just becomes part of our day-to-day -day activities, right? It just becomes part of our workflow. This is what we do. This is We wake up, and yeah, product distribution is a part of it, but that's not the major part. The major part is what we do for patients to help them optimize their medications. So much like a year ago, I said the time is now. The time is now even more so this year because now we've got people who are saying, yeah, I think there is value. So when you do have a pair that does come on board, and we got to be pretty honest and open about this. 
not everybody within Flip the Pharmacy or CPSN has prepared themselves to be fully ready. And I'll give you an example of that in, in a good way. I'm working with a pharmacy in California when we started um, talking about the, you know how to get ready for vaccinations. Um, they didn't heed my warning. And then all of a sudden, they had an opportunity working with one of the public health departments that they weren't ready. And when I had a follow-up coaching call with them, they said, what I've learned, Randy, is I should listen to Randy <laughs> and, and be ready because I kept saying, be careful what you ask for, you just might get it. And if you're not ready, then you just lost an opportunity. These opportunities are going to be coming more and more and more frequent and faster. And they're going to, and you got to be ready. So for all those pharmacies that are out there who's on the fence, uh, this is not the time to be on the fence. This is the time to jump right in uh, with both feet and commit and uh, make sure you're making the transform transformative process so you can create that capacity to provide patient care and get paid for it. I appreciate that. And it's about what you said about creating the capacity to provide patient care and get paid for it, for sure. It's it's not about just documenting e-care plans. Um, the whole, all of the domains of Flip the Pharmacy work to prepare pharmacy teams to really have the capacity to provide these services. Yeah, and what I'd say about the e-care plans, and sometimes we put too much emphasis, I think, on that, is about the patient care. We put the emphasis on the e-care plans because that's your proof, right? That's that's your entry in to a payer to say, okay, it, it, what a wonderful thing for us to say for our 900 plus pharmacies now that are part of um, Flip the Pharmacy Cohort 1 and Cohort 2, to say, this is how many e-care plans on average these pharmacies are actually submitting. And these are the disease states, the conditions that, you know, and we've got lots of data now to demonstrate all the things that the pharmacists have done. That's your ticket in. Now, once you're in, you got to continue on and evolve and continue to provide that level of care for a more diverse group of patients. So you just have to be ready. So I'm excited. Yeah, I think this is a really exciting time for sure. Um, and so we've certainly learned a lot over the past year, and I'd be remiss not to credit the strong leaders in the Flip the Pharmacy Initiative, especially Cody Clifton, who um, will deserve quite a vacation you know, once, once things calm down. Um, and, and so, you know, we've made a lot of progress as a profession, monumental progress as a profession over the last year. And huge strides with Flip the Pharmacy, for sure. Um, but we're not done, right? So what does what do you feel the next year holds for Flip the Pharmacy? And how can other pharmacy teams get involved? So we have listeners that aren't currently participating in, in Flip the Pharmacy. How can they get involved as well? Yeah, I would say that, you know, you still can participate if you're not part of the official Flip the Pharmacy program where there's coaches and leads and you're part of a, you know, a funded system. This, this material is available um, to you, you know, through the Community Pharmacy Foundation. They did that purposely because they wanted pharmacies to access this who may not be part of the formalized system. And I would encourage you to, you know, be part of our changes, part of our transformations, looking at the change packages. And those change packages are just those little bite-sized changes that you do within your practice month after month after month. And, you know, one of the things that I've been known, you know, I'm known for Randyisms, right? Some of the sayings that I give to people. And one that always stuck out that I have more to residents and students come back to me is saying, you know, Randy, one of the things you always says, don't become complacent. You know, you always got to challenge the system because the system's going to push back and you can become very complacent in that situation. And so these residents have 
actually put that on their computer screen or on their, you know, somewhere close to where their, where their workstation is at to keep thinking about not to be complacent. This is not the time to become complacent. This is the time to really step up your efforts. There are opportunities uh, for you. Um, look at your CPSN networks uh, because they're starting to see more payer opportunities. Look to joining CPSN if you're not part of CPSN. This is no longer, I'm waiting for the money to come before I join. As I just told you, you have to be ready before the money does come. And if you're not, you can't participate because you, you just don't have the infrastructure to participate. So this is the time for all community pharmacists out there to really look at what can I do to start changing my practice to be prepared for the near future of when people will say, okay, we want you to take care of this patient for me or this patient group. We'll pay you for it. Go to it. And uh, so this is the opportunity for you to do it. Thank you, Randy. I, I appreciate that. And um, we'll add that to my my collection of Randy isms as well. And <laughs> if we learn one thing over the last you know half an hour, it was always listen to Randy. So we'll, <laughs> we can, I like we, that. Huh. <laughs> gives me good job security. <laughs> we can all take that, take that as a takeaway. Um, but sincerely, Randy, thank you for taking time out of your day, out of coaching other pharmacies, out of leading the, you know, this national effort, um, and likely out of giving COVID vaccine, you know, yourself today, um, to share your reflections on this past year and a glimpse of, of what's to come. Listeners can visit flipthepharmacy.com for updates on this groundbreaking initiative. Thank you, Stephanie. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Beyond the SIG. Thanks for listening to Beyond the SIG, a prescription for transformative pharmacy care. Be sure to check back with the Pharmacy Podcast Network soon for the next episode. To learn more about transforming the role of the pharmacist, visit papharmacists.com forward slash podcast. That's papharmacists.com forward slash podcast. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.